Come on. Welcome, Left Blood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Dr. Andrew White. Andrew, are you ready to do this? I am. It's great to be here with you today, George. I'm excited to have you on. Dr. Andrew is a senior fellow of management practice and leadership at Said Business School at the University of Oxford. He's the host of the Leadership 2050 podcast. He is a coach. Excited to have you on. Andrew, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. So um, thank you for the opportunity. Um, so I think if I start by introducing my work and then I'll get on a bit about my personal life as well. So my work really is focused on helping leaders find and transcend their strategic and development edges. Now that might sound like a bit of a mouthful. What does that really mean? I sit down with leaders um, and I figure out what's going on in their world. Where are they, where are they stuck? Where are their biggest opportunities? Um, and that's from an organizational point of view. It can also be from a personal leadership point of view. So on the one hand, it might be we have to double our turnover. It might be we have to transform our products because, you know, we know we were in oil and gas. We now want to be in sustainable energy. Um, from a personal point of view, it could be I'm in the wrong job or, you know, I need to create a different culture of leadership in my organization. So it's all these types of questions. So that's really what my work's about. And I want to be at that cutting edge of where leaders are at and where the world's at um, and really helping business be a positive contribution to the world. Um, a, a bit about me. Um, I love sailing. Um, I'm, I don't think I'm ever really happier than when I'm out on my sailboat uh, with my family. Um, you know, I love the point when the engine switches off and the sails fill with the wind um you know the dolphins come and play around the boat um you know a nice glass of wine i think that's you know that's me in my element um and uh yeah so hopefully that gives you a bit of a flavor about me and my work yeah i love it well i i, I love all of it i especially like the part about the engine turning off and the sails filling with air and family yeah. and dolphins and wine so yeah <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a pretty good deal all right. So you talk about the leadership edges. What do you mean by edges? So I think I don't know a leader in today's world whose organization isn't going through or facing some kind of disruption. Um, and that's coming for me from really three different perspectives. Firstly, you know, everything that's going on with regard to climate change and the environment. I think, you know, many of the businesses that are running today were created for the 21st century and they were great. They did great things. They, you know, delivered great products and services for people, um, returns to shareholders. But the world changed. Um, and we're now talking about the circular economy. We're talking about green energy. And these aren't just things that environmentalists you know, are concerned about. They're things that are consumers are concerned about, regulators are concerned about, and frankly, where there's great business opportunity. Um, so whether you're in a consumer goods company, a oil and gas company, you know, whether you're a consultancy, this is driving huge amounts of change and disruption um, to existing ways of working. So that was one. I think the second is tech. 
And I think, you know, the world is at an edge. It's tech going to service and be good for society or is tech going to be a problem? Um, and we see that with all the challenges that social media course causes. I mean, social media has been a great tool for society in so many ways, but it's also caused a lot of harm. In many ways, it's amplified the bad and it's amplified the good. Um, and I think for leaders, it's they are now increasingly responsible for how that tech is developed and utilized. And that tech's only getting more powerful in terms of AI. So how do we ensure that there's tech for good? And then the third is the whole, what I would call the diversity, the inclusion, belonging, leading to human potential. When I look back on my own career, I'm acutely aware of how important organizations have been to me. Um, I'm sitting today with a, a wonderful Oxford background. I'm part of an amazing university. I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing without that organization. I would, that brand gives me an amazing platform. And I'm aware historically that has been, you know, focused on certain parts of society. Um, we as white men have, you know, had a lot of that benefit. And I think that power that organizations brings, that organizations bring, um, you know, that enable people to find and develop their potential is being questioned. Is it going to the right people? Is it? And that's to me is so important. It's not just important from a, a societal point of view, but it's also important from an individual point of view. It's also important from a a, a the human potential that leads to high performance in organizations. We know diverse organizations deliver high levels of performance. So, you know, when you ask about edges, they are the big three edges that I see leaders facing today. Well, those are pretty big ones. Yes. <laughs> so um, lots of, lots of really important stuff. It, it strikes me that, that, those are really hard things to grapple with. It's it's hard yeah. for an individual to, to to grapple with my personal past, where I'm at, where I want to go. It's hard yeah. for a huge company, like we're talking about a huge petroleum company, to to look well. What 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 got us here isn't going to get us to where we want to go, yeah. and everything else. Um, so I I don't know what the what the conversation is. I wrote down in advance uh, time horizon because I have obligations of stockholders, shareholders, and stakeholders, and worrying about the earth and worrying about the impact that I've had or that the people that came before me had. So how, how do you help people sort of grapple with that? So from a time point of view, I think, you know, it can be as immediate as a new story breaking in the press or a change in regulation in a particular market that you're operating. Um, and then it starts to come into what are the timescales within your industry? I mean, some industries are working on five, 10 year, 20 year horizons because that's the period over which returns are accrued. Um, with other industries, it's much shorter. So I think for me, the real question is, are there different leadership skills that are needed today that have been mm. leaded, needed in the past? And, and if I can paint a picture for you to help you understand this and listeners understand this a bit better, I think to get to the top, let's say, you know, historically, you needed to be good at delivery. You needed to be good at execution. You needed to be good at sales. Um, you were largely operating in the status quo, except for those more entrepreneurial businesses. But essentially, you had to be a great operational person at projects, at sales, at these types of things. The problem is you get to the top of an organization 
And you have to be good at all those things. And, and we'll call that your dominant hand, the hand that you're really good at. But now you're being asked to develop the skills of your non-dominant hand. And that's really, really hard. So I want to just paint a picture for a moment that that dominant hand is tied behind your back. Uh, and, and what that dominant hand looks after is things like you have direct reports, you have IT systems at your disposal, you have you know, finance people, um, you have all the normal capabilities of a company, but that hand's tied behind your back. And now you still have to get stuff done and you've got your non-dominant hand. And the only things that you really have at your disposal are listening, purpose, and the purpose of the organization and what your employees really care about, empathy, compassion, and you have to persuade people to go with you, but you've got none of the tools of the dominant hand. So this is about putting humans at the center and people at the center. And I would say this is the antidote or the counter to the great resignation. You have to listen to people. What do they care about? Why are they in this company? What do they care about in terms of the contributions that they make? What are their values? And the job of leadership is really to take those, let's call them those micro purposes of the individuals and to weave them into a more collective activity. Um, and, you know, how do you roll that out over 100,000 people in a big company? Or how do you roll that over 30 people in a small company? But I think this is so important. And this is what so many employees are looking for. They're looking to be part of something that's bigger than themselves, but where they have a role. And it's more than just a transactional job, so to speak. Um, and, you know, as I said, I think the great resignation is the, is the counter to this. Um, and that's the critical skill that I'm seeing leaders are having to develop. Well, it certainly does make sense. You know, I learned a long time ago that people support what they help to create. And so feeling like they are stakeholders and that the organization is listening, um, that, that certainly does make sense. Are, are, are you seeing leaders being able to make this shift? Or do they just need to recognize that it's necessary and then reskill? How does that how, how does that change usually happen? So what I've noticed in the research that I'm involved in is, and I'm going to use this phrase, an intentional disconnection from the status quo. Hmm. That the status quo has now got such an intensity about it. Um, it's so fast paced. If you just think particularly with the whole work from home thing we've all gone through. Um, you go from Zoom meeting to Teams meeting to Zoom meeting to Zoom meetings to team meetings. And so it's transactional. It's operational. It's bang, 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 bang. And for senior leaders, this doesn't usually stop at five or six o'clock in the evening. It goes on well into the evening. It starts very early. And so they become consumed by the status quo. And what the research evidence tells us, it then becomes difficult to see the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is the thing that as a senior leader, you have to understand. And so what I've noticed is successful leaders of transformation, they disconnect from the status quo. So what do I mean by that? They go and visit companies that are really innovating in sectors which at the moment are adjacent to them, but could become competitive to them. They put themselves on courses where they're forced to stop and reflect and learn. They bring in speakers to their executive teams who are not 
talking about things that are in the status quo, but that are about the context in which they're having to operate now and in the future and, and the things which will determine their success in the future. So they're slowing down in order to go faster. They're listening to weaker voices. Um, they are you know, disconnecting from the status quo, um, not permanently because they're still responsible for it, but they're finding that place to really listen to what's going on from which we know they can make better decisions. Well, I think that that makes sense. Need to to sort of get out of the get off the hamster wheel or whatever yes. whatever metaphor yeah. we're interested in using, yeah. and yeah. Ex- expose ourselves to. Um, I, I don't want to call it discomfort, but potentially discomfort. Certainly, different well, ideas. Think, yeah, I think it can be very uncomfortable. I think you know I, I would use that word. Um, you, you know, I think. I'm, I'm particularly minded of one executive I spoke to who'd been in an industry for 30 or 40 years, knew how to run things in a certain way and actually put themselves in a very uncomfortable position of having to learn again, of having the humility to ask people who were much younger than them to teach them because they didn't know the digital world that was um, developing. And I think that can be uncomfortable. And, and, and I would say if you're not having uncomfortable situations, maybe you're not learning. Um, so um, there's something about having the confidence and the humility uh, to recognize that you are, in a sense, you're an expert with that dominant hand, but there's another part of you where you're not an expert. And is the ability to the ability to do that is also probably going to be predicated on on my ability as a CEO to 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 get my board and other important players and stockholders to understand that. Yeah. So how do you how, how do you reconcile that? Um. So I think the world is definitely changing. I did an article on LinkedIn uh, last year. Um, it was about four different or three or four different oil and gas companies um, where shareholders were saying that basically their climate adjustment plans were not moving fast enough. Um, Exxon, Chevron, Shell um, all had either court cases or shareholder action that was pushing for quicker change um, that resulted in board members having to change. So I think what we're seeing now is a shift. Um, it used to be possible to blame stockholders for, you know, holding the company back from not going fast enough. I think that started, we're starting to see a lot of movement there. Let's go to boards. Um, you know, boards can get stuck in this status quo as well, um, mm-hmm. particularly with the number of regulations that they have to address. I wrote a paper in Harvard Business Review called 10 Proactive Questions That Every Board Member Should Ask. Um, And I really looked at a number of corporate failures that had happened. Um, And where were those boards? Why weren't they asking uncomfortable questions? And I think all too often the agenda can become, I don't want to say automated, but it, it, it can have so many things in it that are filled up by the executive, that are filled up by the regulations, that the boards stop asking tough questions of management. Um, And the boards stop asking the question, what do we want on the agenda? 
Um, and so there's a real shift there that I see that boards need to make from the reactive to the proactive if they're to be successful. So to your question, the job of the CEO is really to get on the front foot. Um, and in that paper, I have come up with 10 questions. Um, not all of them are necessary. If the question is which ones um, are going to have real resonance and going to bring about the shift in the conversation that the company needs to needs to have. Fascinating. I was just putting myself in the shoes of a of a CEO who's who is wanting to do the things that you've been describing, and it, they're they're they they believe in it. They they know it to be the way forward. They recognize that their company is 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 in a position where they probably should be and need to be doing these things. And there's fear and there's anxiety, and, and again, there's going to be discomfort from new learning. Um, and it's a function of need to be mindful of the things you talked about right away, which are breaking news, which are business cycles, which are, yep. are all, all these things. So when, when, when you're working with an organization, is there, for lack of a better term, a framework, a checklist, certain things that you take people through? Yeah. So there is. Um, so often what I will do is... I think, let me step back. This is, there is an emotional journey that leaders have to go on and companies have to go on, which is as important as the project management journey. And to recognize that that emotional journey needs to be understood. It, it can't be predicted. Um, so if you really want to go in this direction, it's not gonna happen overnight. Um, we're talking about six, 12 month, 24 month programs of transition. And I have four questions that I use really to open up this type of conversation. The first question is, what are you not talking about that you need to talk about? And when I pose that to an executive team, I, I can guarantee you, George, half the room will typically look at the floor. <laughs> They're uncomfortable. They all know there's things that they need to talk about, but it's difficult. And they can be internal things or they can be external things. And that question can lead to three or four hours of conversation alone. The second question is, what are you always discussing but you never resolve? And at that point, probably two thirds of the of the room will smile because they all know the certain things that they go round and round talking about, but they haven't found a way to resolve. The third question is, in a sense, what spaces do you need to create to have these conversations? Now, all of these companies are full of risk committees, HR committees, audit committees. So why is it you can't have the conversation within those spaces? So what spaces do you need to create? And then finally, if those, those conversations, if what you talk about in answer to those previous three questions led to good outcomes, what would that look like in three years, in five years? So that really starts to open up the uncomfortable conversations that need to happen, which for me are the starting point. It's just getting it on the table. In some ways, it's not unlike the Buddhist approach of simply being aware. I'm also a, a meditation teacher. And, and sometimes we can't change what we feel, but we can become aware of it. Um, we can notice it. We can become mindful to it. And so I think that first process is just simply um, getting over that difficult place 
of speak, talking about things with a greater degree of comfort. And, and that's not dissimilar to what we see in things like alcohol addiction and when people really start to turn the corner and the processes that organizations like Alcoholics Anonymous have, have developed. Um, so let's say that I'm working with a company and we're, you know, we have we've begun that process, we get to the end of day one, we have a nice dinner, day two, we start to work out that actually things have got to change. Um, and so this event can become a period in our history, an important period in our history. So we're going to go on a journey, and we're going to take go on a journey of transformation. So the key question is there, what do we want to take with us on that journey? So what from the current organization, the current way of doing things, the current culture, the technology we have, do we feel is going to be really, really important um, in this next phase? Because we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater or to use a, a, another metaphor. Second question is, what do we want to leave behind? What, what do we recognize is just no longer relevant? It's no longer important. Um, it, and that could be products. It could be technologies. It could be aspects of our culture. Um, um, it could be behaviors, dominant behaviors amongst the, uh, the leadership group or amongst the employee base more broadly. So what do we want to leave behind? The third question is, what do we need to transform? And by that, I mean, what kind of current operations do we have that need to go through a through a transformed state in terms of quality, in terms of cost reduction, in terms of focus? And then thirdly, what do we want to create? Um, and, you know, if I give you an example of a company I worked with, they, they went through this whole process. Um, they realized that they were too dependent on an industry sector that was in decline. So they divested a, a big chunk of their operation, so sold that off. They made acquisitions into where they thought the future of their world was going. And so this was very concrete business activities. What do we want to leave behind? And what do we want to create? What do we want to go into? And so, you know, just those eight points, the first set of questions, the second set of questions, begin to frame a really important conversation. And that's typically a, a two-day process that I would take executives through. Um, and then there's the coaching of CEOs, because it's a, a very difficult place for them to be when they are leading this kind type of transformation. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. These are these are extremely powerful questions. I I, I just love a good question and yeah. you've given us like eight or nine of them. So I appreciate that. And I imagine just just like you said, just from those first couple, you could be in a room with a group of people for 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 at least a day. So yeah. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Andrew, those were solid, but the people are ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? So I think for my difference making tip, um, it would be go for a walk, preferably somewhere in nature. If you can, leave your phone behind. And think about your work. Think about the short time you have on this earth. Think about what you're doing when you've had a really, really, really good day. Full of energy, full of life. And, and what does that say about who you are as a person? What does that say about your purpose, about 
your contribution, how you want to serve others, the impact you want to have. And nature is a wonderful teacher. And I think if you, if we think about the places we love to be, and I've always wondered why people stare at the ocean, why people stare at a sunset. Um, there's something in us which loves these things and they're great teachers and they're great places to learn. And I think there is a, a yearning to get back to some of that, not to give up the wonderful civilizations that we've built, um, but to get back to that. So that would be my tip. Um, in some ways, very simple and yet can lead to very profound outcomes. Well, I think that, that is great stuff that definitely gets to come on. I think that's excellent. The, the more we can do what you just described, the better. And another simple yet wildly profound question to ask yourself. So yeah. definitely encourage people to do that. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage with you? So the first thing to do is you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I have a regular newsletter called Leadership 2050. Um, so if you just drop that into Google and my name, um, that's probably the best way. I'm also on Twitter, um, Dr. Andrew White. Um, and um, uh, I have a podcast series uh, that goes by the name of Leadership 2050 as well. Um, and uh, there's lots of signposts in there, George, and that probably keeps it simple enough um, for people to find out more about me. Perfect. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Andrew your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Follow Andrew on LinkedIn. You can find him under Dr. Andrew White and the Leadership 2050 uh, newsletter blog. Find him on Twitter, Dr. Andrew White, and then check out the Leadership 2050 podcast as well. We'll link all those in the notes. Thanks again, Andrew. That's wonderful. Thanks for having me, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.